Hello and welcome to Televox Talks, a podcast about humanity and technology and the interesting relationship between the two. That's especially true in today's episode where we will be looking at AI and sentiment analysis, essentially using artificial intelligence and machine learning to analyze human emotions and behaviors. I am Dan Johnson and I'm delighted to welcome our guest for today's episode, Zlata Kuleznik. Welcome. Hi there. Pleased to be here. I am very excited to talk to you today. Likewise. Fantastic. So you're going to be talking to us about uh, your experience with AI. But first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role. Sure. So I joined Telox seven months ago and I'm a product marketing manager here. And I have background in natural language processing, machine learning, artificial intelligence, machine translation, and all of the cool stuff. Um, so yeah, it um, allows me to um, have some deeper insights when it comes to what we develop internally at Televox, and then extrapolate what could be developed with the help of AI. Excellent. So we're going to talk mainly about AI today. But first of all, can you talk about uh, what sparked your interest in AI in the first place? All right. So a bit of a context would be helpful here. Uh, I'm originally from Ukraine. And um, two years ago, I co-founded a startup. It is an AI-based data-driven political consultancy called Mundus AI. And um, in the Ukrainian political context, there's uh, an absence of a well-functioning feedback loop between the electorate and the politician. So it's difficult to understand what is happening out there in the open among the publics and to understand what are their pain points, uh, what are their daily struggles and how politicians on different levels, be it regional, national or otherwise can address those pain points. So what we did, we uh, basically designed a model that allowed us to do sentiment analysis and social media listening. Uh, let me elaborate a bit more on what it means. So um, basically every single politician in these days has a Facebook page, Instagram page, Twitter page. And this is the key outlet for how they disseminate their uh, campaign updates or what's about to take place um, in this or that region, etc., etc. And what is a um, common scenario in Ukraine is that electorate and all of the people from within the region, they actively participate in this discussion. So they would comment on, all right, um, there's a new uh, swimming pool that is about to be opened. There's a new kindergarten that is about to be built. Uh, is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? So it's like a public forum and everyone has a say there, and usually politicians listen, but not always. And the problem with uh, this configuration is that it's difficult to analyze this much text data, right? Because it's like, imagine um, we have 42 million in Ukraine and everyone actively participates and they, they, you know, they want to express uh, their opinions and politicians want to make them feel heard. So how do you do that? You collect all of this text data, all of the comments, you analyze this text data, 
you tokenize it, you cluster it into topics, let's say public infrastructure, utility services, um, healthcare, etc., etc., depending on what's of interest to this or that politician. Then you analyze it, what, what sentiment does the data um, have, uh, be it positive, neutral, or negative. And then you tailor your decision-making and your political campaign based on the inputs that you derived from these insights, from this data, from this uh, social media data. Does it make sense? It makes sense. It's highly fascinating. Uh, and I'm really intrigued. So we, we talked a little bit about the term sentiment analysis. Exactly. Could you give us a very, very brief explanation in general of what sentiment analysis means? Sure. So sentiment analysis is basically uh, drawing insights from text data. And um, there are three typologies of sentiment, positive, negative, and neutral. So let's say um, I tell you, oh, you look nice today. This is obviously positive. Um, oh, the weather is terrible today. This is obviously negative. Um, however, there's a tricky bit to sentiment analysis as a concept because um, it has to account uh, for irony and sarcasm. And this is the trickiest part when it comes to model training and when it comes to all of the advanced analytics that are part of recurrent neural networks, convolutional neural networks, etc. How do you get around that? I imagine it must be incredibly difficult to detect sarcasm and irony in text. Well, yeah, that's that's um, that's pretty complex. But again, AI steps um, into um, the whole picture here. And again, there are two complications, I'd say. Um, it's the volumes of data. We always have to deal with big data. And it's very difficult to analyze it manually. And then, um, as I said, there are very intricate pieces and beats uh, in different languages. So, for example, we were working with Ukrainian and Russian languages because these are the, yeah, the predominant languages that are spoken in Ukraine. And we had to adjust all of the models that are already in place. So we first translated all of the inputs from Ukrainian and Russian into English. Then we tokenized it, clustered. Uh, there's this concept called lemmatization. Um, so we basically um, removed the endings so as to um, narrow down the word to its root. And then the model training is easier if you kind of reduce the complexity of the input text. And the input text is called corpora or corpus. Um, and um, basically this corpora is what we got from the social media platforms that were of interest to different politicians. You've used the term tokenization yeah. a couple of times. Um, could you explain what that means, please? Sure. So um, it's a very um, widely used term within um, the engineering space, I'd say, and it can mean different things uh, in different contexts. But um, in the field of uh, NLP, um, tokenization is basically assigning a token. It's like uh, splitting words into units, 
and then each unit represents a word, so to say. So you can think about it as like um, we have a bag of words. There's actually an algorithm called the bag of words. So you put all of those tokens together, and then this results in our um, yeah in our input basically. And I have another question as well, based on what you've just said. You talked about that you needed to translate everything from Russian and Ukrainian into English. Yeah. Uh, why is that? Is it just that there's more data available in English or uh, is there a specific uh, use case that this is for? Well, basically, um, we were using Roberta. This is one of the algorithms that is um, widely used within the uh, field of uh, natural language processing. And um, in order for uh, this model to work, all of the text had to be translated into English. This is, the, I guess, a very common scenario because all of the models, they are trained on English corpora. And there's always a need for some sort of fine tuning when it comes to other languages. And um, this was just the most cost efficient way. And being a startup, you know, you always think about cost efficiency. And of course, you think about the error rate and how accurate the outputs um, are going to be. So, yeah, these were two constraints that we tried to optimize and hopefully we succeeded. I imagine with the specifically sentiment analysis, there is a big risk in losing some of the meaning in text and translation. How do you try and combat that? Well, um, so we actually hired a um, um, third-party consultancy to help us um, do this this work for us because, again, um, it takes a lot of time and you really have to um, be very thorough when it comes to um, annotating text and annotating the sentiment, be it positive, neutral, and negative. And again, as I mentioned, uh, with sarcasm being huge, and especially on social media, um, there was a person going through every single um, comment, basically, um, and double checking whether it's correct. So the output of the model is correct. So and an assigned sentiment is correct or not. Uh, of course, um, we didn't do it like all across. We took like a sample size of our text and then yeah the um, the results were pretty impressive are you able to tell us a little bit about the results or is that uh, um, off limits the it's more about like the error rate so it was pretty uh, low and um we the outputs were correct uh, 76.9 percent of the times which is again now we're th we're talking about a reinforcement learning uh, which is the concept that basically the models train themselves. It's not a finite state. So once you develop the model and you put it into practice, it keeps learning. So there's like a reinforcement loop that um, keeps moving. And once you train the model and you set it in motion, it never stops learning. So basically, our assumption, um, an educated one, is that the error rate will uh, decrease over time as the model gets better and as the model learns new patterns in data, as the model um, uh, understands some intricacies of uh, Ukrainian language and like the translation that we have put in place.
So this podcast is all about uh, technology and how it relates to humans. We talked about some use cases already for this, but what other use cases are there for this kind of analysis? The most um, ubiquitous one, I'd say, um, is the chatbot. And um, basically, it's very, um, very widely used within the um, yeah, service sector and like commercial um, sectors. Uh, let's say you are um, an online store and you want to understand whether your customer base is satisfied with um, your service level or maybe the product that they received, etc., etc. This is um easily done if you are to um, tap into sentiment analysis as a function of uh, it being integrated into the chatbot. So then you can draw some insights from the interactions and understand, okay, this customer is satisfied, this customer is not satisfied, what can be done, what's the macro picture of how my business is doing and how uh, my customers are perceiving me. And of course, apart from chatbots, um, you can uh, think about social media listening in general, uh, not within the political context, but rather within the business context. Again, every single brand um, that we're aware of has a Facebook page or has an Instagram page. And it's, um, it's very insightful to understand what people are saying about your business, about your service, about your product. Apart from that, I'd say it can be used in the educational sector because, um, again, in order for the learning curve to um, be functional, so to say, and in order for the students to go up the learning curve, there also has to be a well-established um feedback loop. So um, the educators or the decision makers that uh, put together the curriculum, they need to figure out, okay, um, what do students think about this or that subject? What do students think about this or that approach? So sentiment analysis here and some um, surveys, uh, you know, MailChimps and such, uh, they can be of great use here. Okay, so I'm going to ask a, an awkward question then, uh, because uh, businesses, people have always been analyzing the sentiment of people using surveys or questionnaires or, or interviews, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so then the question is, why do we need AI for this? All right. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a valid question, to be honest, because it's um, it seems like, okay, why do I need that if I've been doing this? All along and it's been working just great and it's more of like power bi and you can tap into some uh generic data um that you draw from your website or from the service but once again once we start dealing with big data it's very difficult to automatize the process without the use of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence that's one aspect of it and then another one is um you take this whole process to another level of complexity. So the level of detail that you can reach and uh, you can uh, tap into 
once you use artificial intelligence is incomparable to anything else. And um, once again, the accuracy level is going to be incomparable to everything that you have ever used before. Um, and of course, it's augmentation of the agent and user experience in general. So you would need way less workforce in order to put this uh processes in place and in order to like the the time to market or time to resolution would decrease dramatically if you are to use um, some machine learning algorithm that would optimize this whole process and i suppose a key difference from a survey or an interview is that people are being honest with their opinions they're not specifically trying to give uh, an answer for a survey or an interview they they're this is how they feel and information they've given devoid of that context but that brings us on to an interesting topic of the legality and morality of this. So, uh, first of all, is is it legal to uh, analyze people's writings like this? Uh, and is it a gray area or are there any ongoing debates about this? Um, all of the above, I'd say. <laughs> um, yeah, of course, it is, um, um, it is a very hot topic within the um, uh, legal um, field. And uh, of course, we all heard about the GDPR, uh, General Data Protection Regulation, and a lot of businesses have had uh, lots of sleepless nights because of this regulation. But now we have another newcomer, the EU AI Act, that is about to be uh, passed. Um, it's planned for the, um, October 2023, so pretty soon. And um, lots of companies, they're scrambling right now to figure out how do we make sure that um, we are compliant with this new regulation because um, with the GDPR, uh, all of the companies had two years of grace period. So they, they had um, a bit of the leeway of like, okay, now we can actually catch up and we can um, fine tune all of the processes that maybe might not align that well with the regulation. But with the EU AI Act, there's not going to be such thing. So it's a bit more complex. In general, when we talk about any sort of um, personal data analysis, uh, it is always um, a bit controversial. However, whenever you sign up to Facebook, Instagram, whatnot, uh, you, there's always this terms and conditions list that you have to, you know, tick uh, off. And once you do that, it's basically a done deal. So your data can now be used by a platform or by the advertisers. And in this case, and in our uh, scenario, we were sort of advertisers because we were drawing this data from the social media platforms of the politicians. So it's sort of their IP of sorts. Um, and also what made the whole process a bit more streamlined for us is the fact that Ukraine is not yet part to GDPR. Even though we were compliant, we didn't have to... Um, go through all of the bureaucratic procedures of like, okay, we have to get an approval here and we had to get an approval there. So it just um, allowed us to 
function smoothly and it um, gave us more space for maneuvering. Because again, it's the case that these regulations might hamstring the progress of um, model development. And um, I think that there's always this fine line between uh, doing something too much and pu pushing too much for any sort of regulatory framework and doing too little. And I'm not necessarily sure if the EU in particular managed to strike this balance. Um, it's, you know, there's this joke that, oh, um, let's develop something. Um, Americans are like, okay, we're going to bring, no, Americans are, we're going to bring the software. Chinese are, we're going to bring the hardware. And Europeans, we're going to bring the regulation. So that's that's basically, that sums up this whole thing. Well, let's talk then about how this can potentially be used uh, as a force for good, because obviously we all know that negative news sells. And so when AI makes the news, it's typically for reasons that people are a little skeptical of, uh, or especially if, if we think about the Cambridge Analytica data scandal there, there's a lot of negative stories. How can this as a concept be used in a positive way? Absolutely. Um, I've always been a proponent of purposeful technology. And I think the fact that responsible AI as a concept um, is becoming ever more prevalent these days is a sign to us becoming more aware of um, the responsibility that we have to develop these models and these systems in a way that would not compromise um, anyone's privacy, would not compromise anyone's um, voice, so to say. Um, and I'd say that um, technology of any sort can be um, a double-edged sword, and um, AI is the perfect example of that. Um, there are a lot of use cases where AI is used um, in remote surgeries, for example. Uh, so you tap into 5G network slicing, and then let's say you have a middle uh, middleware that allows you to use 5G with the APIs, and then you can have these remote surgeries. And this would have never been possible had it not been for the uh, advancements in technology. And actually, last year, there was this, um, it was conducted in Brazil, um, this, the first uh, remote surgery, and it uh, was a huge success story, it made the news. Uh, so that's um, one example, for sure. Um, with sentiment analysis, I'd say, again, the rationale behind our startup was that we want to make democracies more functional. We want to make people feel heard. We want to keep politicians accountable to what they promise. And we want to make them understand what pain points are the priority within different strata of society. So... I think that if you zoom out 
and understand, okay, I'm not doing it just for profiteering. I'm not doing it just to optimize something, just to streamline a process or, um, you know, hit some specific target or KPI or whatnot. But rather you make AI and model development human-centric. This is key tenant for us ending up in a world where AI is a force for good. And once again, um, right now, there's this huge trend of um, making AI interpretable, which essentially means that um, it's no longer a black box approach to model development. So you don't understand how did the model come up with this output. You don't understand like, okay, where does this come from? Um, But rather you really distill down all of the processes and all of the inputs that were part of the output. And then um, once you educate the masses, no matter how, Um, you know, a cliche it sounds. Um, Once you make an average Joe understand, okay, this is not a threat and you you can actually use it to to your good, then we're slowly transitioning from the current alarmism to a world where we all benefit from the development in the fields of AI, and we all become um, reinforced and enabled by AI. With the AI, it sounds like it's really developing at a really fast pace. And we're always seeing new developments coming out. I mean, uh, even just a, a few months ago, the internet was going crazy about the the Pope's puffer jacket. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was asked if I saw that, and I thought it was one of those things where they ask uh, people at Coachella which bands they're most excited for. <laughs> so that was very confusing to me. But uh, this is now gaining some traction in the public consciousness. People are seeing how quickly things are developing. Um, so what do you think that AI and sentiment analysis is going to be capable of in a few years? Oh, wow. Um, the sky's the limit, I'd say. Uh, and yeah, the speed of pro- progress is a little bit scary. And especially for someone who has a hands-down approach and has down experience with the model development, um, it, it scares me, but it excites me at the same time. And um, I think in the upcoming months and years, um, well, first of all, we have uh, chat GPT-4. That's going to be huge. Um, and um, basically the, um, the accuracy of the outputs that we're going to receive with chat GPT-4 is going to be incomparable with chat GPT-3, 3.5. And everyone within the um engineering community is excited about it and there's a lot of investment that is being pulled into um this startups that are trying to play around with these models um i would say that when it comes to 
commercial side of it, we have Microsoft and Copilot. So it basically um, eases up the life of every consultant out there because uh, it allows you to um, um, automatically uh, uh, create PowerPoints based on your notes and some uh, Google Drive docs. Uh, it um, uh, allows you to take uh, meeting notes. Um, it allows you to um, play around with Excel spreadsheets and, um, yeah, you describe the concept and the problem or you describe what do you want to depict. Uh, and then it automatically fills everything out for you. Obviously, no AI podcast can be completed without the mention of Elon Musk. And um, I think that um, what uh, he's doing with Neuralink is something that I'm most uh, excited about because this is actually uh, the real life example of AI being used to the benefit of um, the masses and the potential that this technology has um, is just um, awe-inspiring and I think I mean lots of people has a lot to say about um, his business endeavors and what he's doing with Twitter but the mere fact that there are initiatives like this um, and they're being developed in a way that, as I mentioned before, they put the human at the center. This is what makes me so passionate about the field in itself. And this is what makes me so passionate about where it's going. And I'm... Um, an absolute optimist when it comes to the end point. And there's this concept of um, AI maturity, and um, it starts off with exploration, adoption, experimentation, and ends up in transformation. So we reach the transformative stage of consciousness, let's say. And uh, of course, it sounds very fluffy, um, but I do believe that AI can lead us to some sort of continuum of transformation. And as I said, sky's the limit. So for uh, understandable reasons, you're not currently living in Ukraine, but uh, what's happened to your project at the moment? Uh, well, mm, the project, uh, we had to suspend it. Uh, we had to suspend the functioning of um, the startup. Uh, our angel investor, he fled the country. So there was a problem with um, uh, continuous funding, obviously. Um, we broke even after six months of being functional, which is a fact that I take great pride in. Uh, so it wasn't even the matter of investments per se, but rather um, all of my team was um, not from Ukraine. So obviously, um, once the war started, um, it was very distressing. And all of their family members reached out saying, like, no, you can no longer stay there and you have to leave. So we finalized um, our projects. Um, there were two ongoing projects at the time when we left and um, basically discontinued it. And it's something that 
still makes me very emotional. But once again, um, I'm a true believer in the fact that everything that happens in life happens for a reason. And I'm a huge patriot of my country also. So even the fact that there's an ongoing war uh, in my motherland, it's still, it makes me hopeful that we have rediscovered our sense of identity and we have um, reshaped the notion of um, fight for democracy and fight for freedom. And me having to abandon my uh, entrepreneurial endeavor is, I guess, the least of the problem when it comes to all of the latest developments. Um, however, the um, uh, algorithm that we develop, they are all, um, I mean, they're there in store. So um, maybe it uh, is something that might be re, um, um, rediscovered in the future. However, right now, I'm uh, more interested in um, figuring out a way to tap into AI and integrate it into Televox core product. And there are so many um, fascinating use cases that we can actually play around with. And um, um, it can be uh, playing around with Whisper, uh, playing around with some sort of uh, automatic call transcription, um, putting together some um, algorithm for advanced workforce monitoring and um, uh, stuff like this. This this is um, what I'm focused on. Uh, so hopefully in the months to come, you're going to hear more about Televox and AI. Well, that's interesting then. So your work with Mundus has been affecting what you're doing here at Televox, but how has it also affected you outside of the company and, and what you do in your, your personal life? You mean me and uh, AI, or yeah? I mean, has has it changed how you approach social media, for example? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I'm very cautious, uh, and uh, I'm usually very protective of my data. Uh, so you know, whenever you have a pop up, accept cookies. <laughs> I reject the cookies, and I actually take an extra. A minute or an extra 30 seconds to just make sure that um, I I reject all of the unnecessary cookies. Um, and um, I'm very careful when it comes to location sharing. Um, so let's say we are, we've all been there. Oh, you know, uh, we travel to Italy. Let's uh, tag our location. Let's post it on Instagram. Well, that's tricky. Even if your profile is private, uh, there are a lot of ways to um, tap into this data and then um, use it in um, irresponsible ways. So again, I would say that the core here is be responsible when it comes to your privacy, but don't turn it into something that keeps you anxious all the time. Because once again, in order to eliminate this anxiety, I think the best way is to educate yourself and to understand how are this system um, functioning? Um, what are the building blocks or this or that algorithm? 
what are the building blocks of this or that social media platform um yeah what's the algorithm that facebook uses that instagram uses that tiktok uses why is it so addictive and um how can i consciously um you know tap into my top down control system and say no stop put away the phone or no stop don't tag the location uh your friends are still gonna appreciate your picture without the location so uh what uh, advice would you give to people who are uh, listening to this and are now maybe more conscious or concerned about what they're doing on social media well um i'd say that once again it's all in the um, education uh you you as a citizen you as a human being have um, a right uh, but for me it's more of an obligation to um, be aware of what's happening around you and this is something that i've always been pushing for um, with my friends with my family uh, with my colleagues that you have to be aware of the macro trends that are shaping the world of today and it shouldn't be just the buzzwords it should be something deeper and once we take some time to educate ourselves on the on the key factors that are shaping our world and a lot of the recurrent developments within the world um then we we feel less hamstrung and less anxious and less prone to be convinced by all of the alarmistic scenarios that media is pushing for. Cool. Interesting. Thank you very much. So AI, machine learning, it's all out there. It's happening. It's proceeding at a record pace and it's not going to be stopped now but we're also seeing some pushback maybe some people uh, in the news have been kind of uh, questioning the developments um, maybe a little concerned about where it's going so given that ai is present in our lives now how do we ensure that the developments in the future are going to be ethical it all boils down to the problem that um, we have historical data and historical data um, is biased because humans are biased. So once you train the model on the historical data that skews towards uh, this or that uh, side of the um, spectrum, then the likelihood of the model being also biased is very high. So how do you control for that? There's this concept of uh, bias testing and bias monitoring. And uh, this is also one of the requirements um, for the EU AI Act. So this is going to be um, key tenet and the key um, responsibility for all of the companies that are integrating their um, in integrating AI into their core products. They have to do this bias testing. They have to make sure that um, the notion of garbage in garbage out is not applicable i would say that 
once the legislation, the EUA Act, uh, once it is um, in place, and if um, the companies are handling um, their data and model development responsibly, and they are putting in place all of the possible breaks that would allow for responsible data handling, then we shouldn't necessarily worry too much about the future. Um, but obviously, um, the ethics of it all is always going to be reappearing over and over again. Um, there's just um, no way around it. This has been absolutely fascinating. And I have learned a lot and I'm really interested to hear more. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. So we're going to have to call it there. But I really hope we can talk again and explore this topic, even in a few months when I'm sure the developments will have exceeded and transformed beyond what we've got today already. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you, Dan. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Televox Talks. Thanks for listening to Televox Talks. To find out more about how Televox turns communication into rewarding conversations, visit televox.com. More episodes of Televox Talks are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts.